Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. We are sailing away here on season two, and I know you you hear me say this weekly, maybe at nauseum for some of you, but certainly important to me and engraved on my heart. I am just overwhelmed with joy and gratitude for the number of heart-centered leadership leaders that I'm meeting around the globe, and I'm consistently getting emails from all of you, the listeners from around the globe, recommending someone. So I just wanted to start this podcast today to say they all reach me, I read them all, and that's how I got our first guest today. So let me introduce you to Lisa Bodell. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Future Think, and it is an award-winning company that enables organizations, I love this, Lisa, to kill complexity, create space for innovation, and get to the work that really matters. Lisa is also one of the top 50 popular keynote speakers in the world. And in a typical year, Lisa brings her message to over 30 countries and hundreds of thousands of people. And how lucky are we that she's on the podcast? So Lisa, welcome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. This is so exciting. (laughs) I, you know, I love the simplicity of what your company does. So that that is my first leadership question. I love how you basically framed that you want to kill complexity, create space for innovation, and let's get to the the work that matters. Mm -hmm. So if I could be so bold to make this kind of a two-pronged question, could you tell me where those values came from and how they existed before last March and where they reside right now? All this happened well before COVID. And the reason why is I started my training firm to help people reach their potential. And the idea was I was always a very creative person in a very strategic environment. And I didn't understand why everyone thought that, you know, being creative and being strategic were two different things. And when I started my training firm, I was trying to teach people how to be more innovative. And I realized after several years with my, you know, my senior facilitators, and these are incredibly experienced people. I mean, they they taught agility at Second City. They wrote for SNL. They were futurists that worked with the World Economic Forum. Felt like they were hitting their head against the wall. And the reason why wasn't because people didn't want to innovate. It's that they didn't have time or permission. And when you ask them what they were spending their day doing, it wasn't meaningful work. It was meetings and emails. So what was holding us back was unnecessary work, mundane work, things that they weren't hired to do in the first place. So I pivoted and realized the front end of innovation isn't getting ideas. It's creating the space to get them in the first place and stopping spending our time on stuff that doesn't matter. So I launched this whole simplicity quest. And what was really great about it was no one argues with you when you say, would you like to get rid of complexity? I mean, no no one says they don't have it. So when we talk with them and we start teaching them these 
these skills, they realize this isn't just for them to save money or even save time. This is to help them focus on more meaningful work and be able to do the things they were hired to do in the first place. And that is deeply satisfying to me and my team. Well, I can I can see it because I'm looking at you and your your face is lit up and your eyes sparkle when you talk about it. And I just want to add on just another question to have you kind of open the bandwidth on this a little bit more. Where do you think the value system has come from for leaders in business, especially around acumen, where there wasn't the space for creativity and innovation to share and be be two different I'm going to say behaviors that could be brought into any leadership, any organization. Well, I felt that what was happening was, you know, when you look at what happens with complexity, most of it is self-imposed and unnecessary. And that's driven by a lot of values and and, uh, behaviors that come from the top. And we call that the complexity trap. And those really are, I'll say three things. One is in organizations, we value more. So it's about how much you get done, not what is on your to-do list in the first place. You know, that's why people are so proud of being busy. And often when they get unbusy, they don't know what to do with themselves. They feel very uncomfortable. The second part of the trap is that we spend too much time internal in our companies versus external. So all this talk, you know, this lip service about a customer-driven organization is really BS because when you ask people what they spend their day doing, it's meetings and emails. And those aren't with necessarily customers, right? And then the final thing, the final habit or behavior or belief that we have that's not good is doing is more important than thinking. And I talk about how thinking has really become a daring act because we're so busy doing, busy, busy, busy. We create complexity because we feel safe because they're worried that if they're not busy, they're going to get fired. So when it starts that actually from the top, that leaders say we want to simplify, it's okay to get rid of unnecessary work. We want to kill stupid rules and meetings. Man, do you start to see the magic happen and people's true potential come out? Well, music to my ears. I mean, you just dropped so many nuggets there. When I hear anyone say they're busy, I ask them everything unproductive they've done. There's no intention in busy. They are polar, polar opposite behaviors. I loved what you said about inside out, outside in. I'm going to defer that for a moment because I have a question about that. But I'm also a yoga teacher. So that being is so deep and so visceral for me, you know, Warren Buffett had that beautiful interview and conversation with Bill Gates. And he said, when did leaders decide that they couldn't have white space in their schedule? So you can't get to that space of thinking when you're always being and being is equal to doing. That's an equation that's like this untangible reality. So, so powerful, Lisa. I love that. My next question is the one that has permanent residency on the show. What imperfections does Lisa bring to her heart-centered leadership? Well, what's imperfect is my impatience. And I, I mean that only because I'm an entrepreneur. And I think that's, you know, you're very impatient because you want to, not because you want to be busy, but because you, you're, there's a drive, right? You, you started a company for a reason and you want to reach that goal. And so you're going to try everything you can to get there. So I don't think a lot of, Entrepreneurs have time for busy, but they have a lot of time for trying and thinking. And so my impatience, I actually know that I do with my team. And I don't necessarily think, frankly, that's a bad thing. I don't think it's bad to be impatient, you know? So while I think heart-centered leadership is you want to give everybody their time, on the other hand, I think sometimes giving people more of a pressure makes them do their best work. 
So that's what I bring. And it's probably the number one answer that I've had from over a hundred leaders. So you're in good company. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's been the number one answer. And that's been from startups to entrepreneurs to C-suite leaders. I think, I think we all uh, work on that daily to maybe move it just a little bit, a, a millimeter further to hone that virtue. I think it's definitely one of the hardest ones. So, and I join, and I join you in that. I, I think, I think we get excited as, you know, entrepreneurs and, and leading companies and we're vivid visionaries and we want to be intentional, but Sometimes I always joke with my team and say, I know I need to back the bus up, but I'm just really excited. Like, let's get this going. It's neat how we all frame it, but we all we all have that foundational impatience. I agree. Now, my third question is, is going to anchor back to that inside out, outside in model where you talked about simplicity. How could you shed the light on team teams or team leaders, or maybe that middle to senior management, when from the top down, it's being conveyed as complexity. How does one even get to see the light at the end of the tunnel to really lead with simplicity when they can't, they can't have the shift because it's top down complexity? So we always talk about that it's what you need to do to start moving the needle on simplicity is to work on your sphere of control, not your sphere of influence. So, you know, if you think about it, like, you know, the onion going inward, and when you ask people what holds them back, especially in, you know, pharma or banks, they'll say the thing that creates complexity is regulatory. And then you say, oh, okay, well then, I don't know, but everyone's regulated. How come people in your industry can do it better? Well, it's organizational. It's your organizational structure. Okay. Well, you can't really control that. What do you spend your day doing? Meetings and emails reports, that's tactical complexity. And that's your sphere of control. Everything is really driven by behavioral complexity. And a lot of that is driven by fear. It's risk, fear, power, control, and trust. We are scared to get rid of things. We won't be valuable. We're scared we're going to get fired. We're scared where someone's going to call us out. That's why we invite too many people to meetings. We uh, CC too many people on emails. We defer decision-making, et cetera, et cetera. So what we tell people is you need to actually focus on your sphere of control. Right, the things within your team that you do every day, that if you change those behaviors or got rid of those tactics, you could get hours back for work that matters. So forget about HR and legal and IT. What do you, within your own group, what can you control? You will get hours back if you shift your mindset that way and then worry about your sphere of influence a little bit later. Influence versus control. Now, I haven't wanted to ask a lot of questions around the pandemic, but Given your background and your company and, and how you frame so beautifully what you do, how do you feel, in your own opinion, personally and professionally, Lisa, has the pandemic paved a way for you to see the new world, let's say from that last March of 2020, to where your mindset is now, the summer of 2021, and how have you adapted? Well, you know, as a company that teaches change, <laughs> we were able to adapt. I mean, what was interesting for us is, you know, we always say how people resist change. And we saw that this was absolutely true before the pandemic. And there's nothing like a burning platform to get them to see that you actually can work from home. And we had some strategic luck that we had launched um, a whole new on-demand platform in February. And most people went dark with COVID in March. 
And so we were prepared. But then what that allowed us to also do was pause. So all the time that I typically spend on planes, now I can just do on Zoom. I've gotten, I mean, just hundreds of hours back to accomplish things in our estimation in six months that would have taken us at least 18. So that to me has been a real blessing of COVID is that it forced us and we teach this to look at, wait, what are we doing that's unnecessary? If we had to work from home all the time, could we? And going forward, do we want to? And what we found was the answer is yes. So we're going to be a hybrid work model. And we've set up all the systems that we need to in the cloud. We've made everything virtual. It's allowed us to expand where we recruit from and who we hire. And we rethink how we work in terms of, you know, what is a meeting on Zoom versus what is a meeting when we physically get together? And we realize that when we physically get together to collaborate, that's more about strategic idea work. And when we're on Zoom, that's really more about tactical project work. So I think that was really cool for us. It forced us, but the time was right because we're so dependent on our clients that we could shift how we worked. And I really hope for corporations that they keep this new way of working and don't shift back to old habits. And I think that's the biggest thing people should watch for is that people like stasis and it's easy to go back to what you know. Well, and I think there's been a pleasant surprise, not only from yourself as the CEO of your company, but I agree with you. This has been an amazing time. And when the platform presents itself, you can either get up on the stage or sit in the audience just as a fun metaphor, I have felt the same as you. I have not missed the traveling and there's many initiatives and even that, you know, that wonderful to-do list and the dream list, we've also got a lot done that would have taken us close to two years. And it's amazing, but it goes back to what we were just talking about a couple of minutes ago. We were allowed to pause. We had time to think, you know, even the people that have told me, well, I'm zoomed out emails and meetings. It's exactly what you said. Why are you not pacing yourself? Why aren't there break times? Getting up from your desk, getting outside, take your dog for a walk, whatever it looks like for you. And productivity is up, which I think leaders and organizations as a whole globally, I think they've realized they don't need bums in seats to have productivity, to have increased sales. And there's been many, many leaders on the show where I think some of the elements of COVID has been a pleasant surprise for them. Yeah, and that's great. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in one more question. Sure. You, you have listed three of your favorite leadership words as futuristic, simplicity, and authenticity. When do you think you really honed into those three words, not only as an acceptance or a value, but you put them into practice at all times without any question? I started my company about 20 years ago. And because to me, those are core values about who I am as a person and the kind of work I want to do. I mean, futuristic, I've always been, I am a futurist, a trained futurist. And I think it's really important and to be hopeful about the future and help people shape it versus have it be put upon them. And there's ways to do that. You just have to get people to stop being scared. Then uh, simplistic, I'm a very practical person. I grew up in the Midwest and in the United States. And I've always been a very straightforward, practical, down-to-earth people. That's how people would describe me. Like what you see is definitely what you get, and that's it. I'm When people have a lot of sizzle, I'm the steak. And what I like about that is, because what that means is I like people to get things done. So I really pride myself on that. That's how I started giving them tools, not just, you know, 40,000 foot stuff. And then authentic, I think, is, you know, people by people. And um, they want to be able to know that after they buy something, they're going to get what they bought. <laughs> so... 
Um, you know, I tend to be a little bit more honest, I guess is what I'd like to say. And um, it's worked out well for us. That gives us a lot of long-term relationships with clients because they know it's not a transaction. It's a relationship. That's the definition of heart-centered leadership for me is it's the connection with people. And I think you just made a really valid point. People think it's so transactional. Even in uh, you know this online world, there's a lot of different ways that you can buy a product. But in the end, they want to be able to do it like in a simple way because you value their time. And in a way where they know if there's a problem, they have somebody to go to. It's not just a transaction. It's about bettering someone in some way. I'm going to switch to the Fast Fab Four. And we just want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Tell us something we don't know about Lisa. We don't know about Lisa. Um, You know, my goal is to travel to every country in the world. And I'm, well, I'm on my way. I'm, I'm only down to, I've got 50, but that means with my children too. You know, I have two kids. They've all gone to almost all 50 states like me in 30 countries. And the reason I think that's important isn't something that you want as a badge, but it's very important to people, especially if you're a futurist, to see how other people do things because they do them in different ways. And that, that's not weird. That's different. That spurs ideas. And especially as Americans to get out and see the world because it's a big place and there's lots of potential. And the more you see it, the more you can bring it back to where you live. Absolutely. Beautiful goal. Exciting goal. Yeah. So you're I don't not, know if I'm going to make it. I don't know that many. It's <laughs> a lot of years. I got to get going. That's awesome. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Ah, heart-centered leadership to me is helping people reach their potential and letting them do the work they were hired to do. Share with us a book that you're reading right now or that you've just finished. Why did you choose to read it and who's the author? Oh my gosh, that I just finished. That's really interesting. Well, (laughs) with my 14-year-old daughter, I had to reread The Curious Incident of the Dog at Nighttime because it's on our reading list. Um, And then the other one was actually The Curious Advantage, which is by Simon Brown. And the reason I read that is I'm a lot into asking killer questions and he's into curiosity. And I think curiosity is a great skill that people need uh, for the future. And I just really like his work. I recommend people reading it. That's a great share. Thank you. That's a good one. I haven't read that. And I agree with you. I think asking good questions, especially when you're working with someone who's curious, it's just such a win-win. Last question. What is one thing you'd like our listeners to really remember about you? Good question. I think the thing that the reason that I'm drawn to simplicity is because often when you have leaders that come on, I think that what they're doing and what what they're talking about is what they've tried to figure out in their own life. And so for me, it's, you know, when people meet me, they're like, oh, you're just, you're simplified, you're practical, it makes so much sense. But the reason I think I started on the journey is because I felt like I was, I was always so busy and, you know, doing so many things, but I didn't feel like I was moving forward. And so I think that's what you really want to think about, which is if you had to speak on a topic, what would it be? And then what does that says? What does that say about you and what you're trying to figure out? It's powerful and it it goes back to one of your first answers when you talked about simplicity. And and I often echo this, you know, we are we are born as human beings. We're not to be human doings. You can get things done within the constraints of a workday, which looks different for all of us now. Mm-hmm. because we're working from home. And I think when you slow down and leave room for that white space, there's just an openness and a limitless potential for both your progression and your productivity. Yeah, well said. I agree. Well, I can see why you were recommended to be on the show. We are definitely 
heart-centered leadership sisters for sure. <laughs> and for I'm excited to keep in touch with you, Lisa, and, and wish you all the best in, in you conquering too. your goal. And I think you will do it. And thank you for sharing your time and your heart today on the show. Thank you, Deb. I appreciate it. Take good care. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.